If you'll turn in your Bibles to the book of Titus with me this morning, the book of Titus, chapter 3, we can dismiss our junior church at this time. If you're four, year, four years old to fourth grade, you can be dismissed right now uh, out to uh, junior church with uh, Mr. Zeke and Ms. Tony. You can go ahead and dismiss now. That'd be fine. Titus, chapter 3 is where you can be turning to as the children walk out here. Good job, guys. Look, I know y'all are going to have a great service this morning. Mr. Zeke, Miss Tony, anybody else, fourth, four-year-old to fourth grade can be dismissed. It'll be just fine. Amen. <clears throat> well, someone said it's supposed to get up to 73 degrees today. So... What does that mean for us? It means we'll turn on the air conditioner if we need to, okay? That's just the way we roll in Georgia. We, uh, we'll take a little bit of cold weather here, a little bit of warm weather there. And um, if you don't like this day, you stick around a little while, because then I think it's supposed to get back down in the 20s this week at some point. And uh, so it is what it is. Uh, so I was I was thinking that there was some some things about cold weather and um, uh, that I appreciate about a cold weather. I was thinking it killed the bugs, but Miss Beverly told me that is not true. So I have to look at some other blessings of cold weather and uh, in the days ahead. But nevertheless, we'll take it and thank God for it. Amen. And uh, it is that time of year, uh, our Christmas season. And we are thankful to the Lord. I hope that our hearts will be filled with gratitude uh, throughout this month and look for opportunities to share Christ, uh, to share the good news uh, of our Savior. And uh, that, is, that is the purpose of the celebration, is to make Him known. Praise the Lord for that. Well, we are in the book of Titus, the book of Titus this morning. And we're going to continue in chapter 3. Last Sunday... We were in verses 1 and 2, and today, Lord willing, we're going to uh, take verses 3 uh, through 7. I hope to be able to finish uh, this morning. We'll see how the Lord leads. But, but nevertheless, uh, you'll remember uh, Titus is a young pastor here being encouraged uh, in his new ministry uh, to the Cretans or the Cretans, however you want to say it, say it either, said either way. But this group of people, this group here at this church, are receiving some great exhortation about how to conduct themselves. Uh, how now that they have a new life in Christ and how they should uh, behave themselves uh, for the glory of God to be a light uh, there on the island of Crete. And we, of course, have been drawing from uh, these truths and applying them to our lives, just as God intended for us to do. And so, Titus, we talked about how to respect and uh, submit and honor uh, those in authority in our, in our community, uh, the leaders, uh, whether it be law enforcement or whether it be our mayors and governors and our president, how we have a God-given responsibility to show grace unto them. And by the way, everything we do is based upon what God did for us. God showed us grace, and so therefore we also show grace. And, uh, and that's what we're learning. That's what the people on the island of Crete, the church there, is learning uh, from Titus. And Paul's exhorting him to do that. But let's begin reading here in verse number 3. 
it's, it goes on after talking about how we, Christians should conduct themselves to those that are in uh, charge, those who are in authority in our communities. It goes on to say this in verse 3 as a reminder. It says, For we ourselves also were sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving divers' lust and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. But after that, the kindness and love of God, our Savior, toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to His mercy, He saved us by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Ghost, which He, which he shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, that being justified by His grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. With God's help this morning, I want to preach a message to you entitled, Rescued. Rescued. I believe the middle verse there that you'll find in our passage, that center verse, that short statement that you'll find right there in verse 5, three words, He saved us. What a powerful, powerful truth of the gospel, of what it does to us. Let's pray. Father, in the next few moments, I am going to attempt to talk about your wonderful grace and the power of the gospel. And Lord, I do pray that you'd help me because I confess I can't do it without you. And I pray for the listeners. I pray for the Christians that they will be encouraged. I pray for those that have yet to trust Christ, that still have an unregenerate heart. I pray, Father, that You would help them to understand, oh God, the gospel and its purity. And I pray that You'd help them to receive it today by faith. Lord, we do thank You and praise You for Christmas. We thank You for the coming of the Lord Jesus. And Lord, we ask You to bless now. In Jesus' name I do pray. Amen. Well, we see here, I titled this message, Rescued, because that's exactly what that word means, saved. It means to be delivered. It means to be rescued. And so the, the message that you're going to hear this morning is going to revolve around that theme, being rescued. I remember a rescue well while serving on the U.S. Coast Guard Cutter Valiant. We had spent days looking for... Uh, a vessel that had supposedly capsized, was missing, and uh, we had conducted a search pattern for days. I mean, and when you can get out there in the middle of the Caribbean and you see nothing but ocean all the way around you, it's about seven miles to the horizon from where the sky meets the water. Uh, I mean, just nothing but water. That's all you see for days. And you're supposed to be looking for this little, this somewhat small vessel. It's not a big vessel. But we, nevertheless, that's what we've called to do, and so that's what we're doing. We're conducting this pattern. We have lookouts, and uh, and we're hoping to come across this uh, this vessel. And after days, one of my shipmates noticed a white reflection. And surely enough, as we made our approach, the reflection uh, became more apparent that it was indeed that missing vessel. Of course, we're starting to get excited as this has been spotted, and we're beginning to think this is the one that's been missing. But as we approach this one, 
It was capsized, and as we got closer, we realized there was only one, from what it appeared, and it, it came to be true, there was only one surviving member. And this, this dear person, the surviving member, was hanging on for dear life. Uh, he was uh, emaciated and, and, and near death. He couldn't even move uh, to wave his hands and yell. He just simply laid on the vessel on his stomach. He'd been there for days. And as we approached, he couldn't even talk to us. But if I recall correctly, one of the first words from his mouth was this, that my friend did not make it. But then the next word was, but thank you for coming. I remember that rescue, and I still remember it today. And I remember that that indeed is a uh, vivid picture of, of what Christ did for us. You see, ladies and gentlemen, we were hopeless and helpless and, and, and constantly near death. But Jesus came, the rescuer, the deliverer, the savior of the world. He came from heaven and he came to earth to rescue you and to rescue me and anybody that will allow him to, he will do it. That person on that vessel, he did receive it and he was thankful. And, and, and I see that there has been a great rescue here on the island of Crete. There are people that have been born again. And so Paul is writing this letter to encourage them, to remind them of something. Number one, that yes, they have been delivered, but not to forget what they were delivered from. Because see, just like us and just like these people here, sometimes for the Christian, it is a temptation to forget where God brought us from. It's easy to forget what God delivered us from and what God saved us from. And so this is a reminder to these dear people and a reminder to us this morning of how we need to look at a lost and dying world through the lenses of the grace of God. You see, you know, in verses 1 and 2, why be subject unto principalities and powers? Why speak no evil of any man? Why not be a brawler? Why be gentle? Why show meekness to all men, even the ungodly like Nero? Why? Because you've got to understand, these people have not experienced the grace of God like we have. The, the Christians right here that were born again. They need to be reminded that, hey, don't get bitter towards the ungodly. They've yet to receive Christ. Even if they have rejected, it needs to be considered that they do not have Christ in their life. So I believe the purpose of this passage was to encourage them. And how we can prevent, get this, how we can prevent an unbiblical and unloving spirit towards unbelievers. Now, let's all be honest here. There are some, uh, there is a lot of unloving people on this earth. And if we're honest, we are one sometimes. We are one of them. But honestly, there are some cruel people around this globe stretched in our own country and other countries, and it's true. How in the world, Almighty God, as the Christian would pray, how can we love them? Well, I believe we're going to find out right here how we can love them. Number one, we need to realize what we were before Christ rescued us. 
We need to realize what we were before Christ. Notice there in verse number 3. It says, for we ourselves. Now, Paul's including himself in this category. He's including the people there in the church. And he's saying, look, for we ourselves also get it, were. This is what we were sometimes. And he gives a list of characteristics. I'm going to look at each of those very quickly just to help us understand what Christ delivered us from. You know, we need to remember. And here we are reminded in this next verse, we're reminded of the depth of human depravity. You say, how deep does human depravity go, Pastor? It goes way deep. Way deep than we don't even want to entertain. Things that we want to imagine. If you don't believe me, ask some of our police officers. Okay? Ask and, and, and just go around and, and you can find out very quick in our community that people, the things that we deal with, but it just doesn't happen out there. Uh, many times it will happen right here in the churches. Because a lot of times it's not as outward as it is inward. The sin, the depravity of the human heart has no limits. And Paul's going to describe that. It's sort of the, the bad news, but also it turns into the good news because it's stating what we came from. Notice that first characteristic in your Bible. It says, for we ourselves were sometimes foolish. That just simply means unwise, refusing wisdom. We've all been there, hadn't we? We've all been foolish. Absolutely. We think about an unbelieving world, we think of foolishness. Have we been there? Yes. What about the next one? Disobedient. What does that mean? That simply means non-compliant. That Greek word is interesting. It's, it's, uh, the Greek word is uh, apithos, where we get our English word apathy. It's, it's uh, really no regard for obedience, no sensitivity to comply with things. And, and, and hey, we've all been there, haven't we? Has it ever been tough for you to, to comply to something? Absolutely. To be obedient? Absolutely. What about deceived? You ever been deceived? That's the next characteristic there in verse number 3. Have you been deceived? Have I been deceived? Oh, yes. We've been misled? Oh, yes. We've made wrong choices? Oh, yes. What about this next characteristic? Serving divers' lust and pleasures. Well, what does that mean? Well, it's interesting to note that that word servant there in verse number, in verse number 3 uh, serving, excuse me, is the, is the same word that we can use for a slave. comes from that word doulos. It means to be a slave to, to be bound to. And uh, this is, it is basically saying a slave to different kinds of passions and pleasures. Have you ever been a slave to a passion or to a pleasure where you've been addicted to it and can't break away from it? I believe if we were all honest in here this morning, we would say, yes, been there. That's who we were. And that's who Paul is telling the Cretans here. What else? Not only that, but living in malice and envy. What is that talking about? It just talks about living in sin. Living in want of something that is not yours. Have we ever been there? Have you ever caught yourself constantly or even at sometimes in your life wanting something that was not yours? Oh, yes. We have. That was us. And sometimes even as believers it can creep in when we allow it. What about the next one here? The next characteristic. Look there. 
it says hateful. You mean we were hateful? Oh, yeah. We were hateful, number one. That carries the connotation there that we were hateful towards God. Hateful. Full of hate. In other words, if we didn't get our way, if it wasn't done the way I want to, you know what kind of spirit it would produce in my heart? A spirit of hate. A spirit of resentment. A spirit of bitterness. That's what was in my heart. That's who I was before I met Christ. I was a hateful individual. I know I was. And so are you. Every human being was a hateful person. I see it in my children. I know my children love each other some of the times. But, you know, I see what's in their heart, too. I see what the Adamic nature is. And I see it in mine, too. We can't hide it. When something doesn't get your way or somebody offends you, what comes out? Hate. You can see it on the face. You can hear it in the voice. It's hate. It's real. It's evident. It's in our society. We see it all around us. There's a hate towards God. But then look at this last characteristic he gives. He says, there is hating and hating one another. What's well, interesting that he put hateful and hating one another, because I believe the first one is the emphasis towards God. The second one is toward other people, towards others. You know, where does racism come from? Hey, listen, racism is not a skin issue. It's a sin issue. It is a sin issue. Someone once said, I think I read it, that that uh, there, there was at one time, I don't even know the details of it, and I don't really believe it, to be honest with you, but someone uh, said that there was perhaps some racism in this church here. I don't believe it. Not At least I've never seen it. If you are a racist, you've hit it pretty well in my estimation. But i tell you one thing, as far as I know, Crooked Creek Baptist Church, and as far as I have anything to do with it, we are not a racist church. Black, yellow, white, they are all precious in His sight. There is no superior race. We are all equal. The ground at the level, the ground at the cross is completely level. And I'm thankful that uh, all God's creation, He died for all. There is no respecter of persons. Racism is sin. It's hate. And that's what was in our hearts. That was in my heart before I got saved. Not necessarily racism, but it could be some other channel to show hate and disapproval towards someone I did not like. Oh, sadly and unfortunately, we all can put ourselves right there in that category because that is God's description. Whether you like it or not, that is God's description of you and me before Christ. And that was these people. And they need to be reminded of that. Can I, can I say something here in a very gracious way? If you have a hard time understanding what you were before God saved you, you need to review this list frequently. Because that is who you were. Because sometimes people, perhaps, that, and this is a good thing, when people get saved at a young age, one, one thing that can happen from that if they're not taught and encouraged and trained to realize what they were protected from in their salvation. What, what your natural heart would, would have produced if you would have been led in that direction. What your heart is capable of before you got saved. What your heart desired before you got saved was that description right there. Yes, that is a list that needs to be reviewed. 
Because it is a God-given description before God's grace changed you. Because again, that's one of been our reoccurring themes. The grace of God changes things. Cretans, remember where you came from. I, 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 this is not in the verse, but if I could say it, even as a pastor, I would probably say with Titus, especially knowing that when people trust Christ, the steps they make could make a statement like this. Cretans, you've come a long way. You've made some good decisions. And, you, and I commend you for that. But let me remind you how the change came about. How did the change come about? Well, we see that in the next verse. So we see what we were before Christ. But then look what the, how the change took place. Look there in verse number 4. Wow. I love this. I simply love it. After that harsh description of the human heart, right in verse 4, we see, but after. But after what? What happened? Oh, praise God. I tell you what happened. The grace of God. It says here, but after that, the kindness and love of God, our Savior, toward man appeared. Wow. What a wonderful contrast. (laughs) What an absolutely wonderful contrast. I mean, to go from that description in verse number 3, and to go into verse 4, and Paul's saying, but remember, let them know this. This is what you were. And remember that. But also remember why it happened. Because God Almighty showed kindness towards you. God Almighty showed love towards you. That's exactly why we celebrate Christmas. We celebrate the kindness and love and generosity of Almighty God. Because He looked down upon a people that hated Him. We were in enmity with God. But He looked down on us with kindness. The kindness of God. What is the kindness of God? What is that? Well, it's talking about his uprightness. It's talking about his generosity. It's talking about his sensitivity towards those that have a great need of deliverance. Almighty God looked down upon his creation. And he knew the great depravity, the great distress that each of us were in. And he looked down upon us with pity. He looked down upon us with compassion. And he, and he showed that characteristic of kindness to a, a lost and wicked world. And, and, and how did he show that? We're going to see here how he showed that. But we see not only the kindness, but then we see the love of God there in your Bibles. It says, for the kindness and love. That's two different characteristics. Very closely related, but two different descriptions. This word, the love of God, is the Greek word philanthropia, where we get our English word Philanthropy. It means to have a love for mankind, a benevolence. Uh, it, it means goodwill towards men. To desire that whether they like you or not. And I think of the Red Cross. They're not bound by skin. They're not even bound by what side you're fighting on. If you're injured in the, in the field and you're hurting and you need help, hey, listen, there's no bias. They're going. There's a goodwill towards them. I think about God and His goodwill towards us. 
the love of God, the goodness of God. I think about, uh, you don't have to turn there, but I'm going to read uh, there in, in Romans uh, chapter number 2. It, it's the same word. Uh, translated uh, just a little differently, uh, Romans chapter 2, uh, verse 4. Listen to what Paul said to the Romans. Oh, despisest thou the riches of his goodness? Same Greek word. His goodness and forbearance and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance? What was he saying there? Even though they had rebelled and had a hard heart, God's intention was to show His kindness toward people to win people. Now, that's very important to note in the context. Kindness of God to win the human heart. So that they might be led to repentance. This is key for the Christian to understand in our witness to a lost and dying world, to our attitude to a lost and dying world without Christ, it is, it is super important for us to understand this, that God's kindness was there. So, the Cretans are being told here that God showed His kindness towards us and that we, too, ought to show forth this kindness. Well, what, is, what does that mean? How does that look? Does that mean that we need to be kind and loving towards the liberals, towards the drug dealers, towards the fornicators, towards the drunkards, towards the homosexual community, towards liars, towards blasphemers, towards disobedient, towards rebellious, towards unbelievers, and the list could go on. The different sins of groups of people. Does that mean that we need to love them and be benevolent towards them and show good will towards them and to be kind towards them? The answer is an emphatic yes. Why? Because God was. God looked down on us with kindness. Now remember, our position against sin is based on truth. We don't apologize for standing upon truth. Truth is truth. The Word of God is the Word of God. We don't apologize for what God's Word says. Our position is sin is based on truth. But get this, our disposition towards the sinner is grace. It's a big difference. Our position on sin is truth. Our disposition towards the sinner is grace. Jesus Christ was full of both truth and grace, as we see in John chapter 1, verse 14. When He appeared, He appeared full of both. And so should the Christian. How in the world do we look at a wicked world with kindness? I'll tell you how. how. It's called Christ living through you. Life, Christ living through me. It's the Christ life. I can't do that. In my natural heart, I'm a racist. I'm ha- I, listen, in my natural heart, I'm going to be uh, filled with hatred. My natural heart, I'm going to be envious and jealous. And in my natural heart, I'm lustful. Hey, listen, in my natural heart, you could just go through the line. But when I yield myself to the living God, the Holy Spirit lives the Christ life through me. 
You see, this is what God did for us. God looked on us with compassion, kindness, love, and mercy, and goodwill. Oh, it doesn't mean we clap for the sinner. It doesn't mean we approve of it and come along and cuddle them and say, oh, it's okay, everybody does this, and you're going to be just fine. Listen, that's not what I'm talking about. You don't show approval for sin. No, you come along that person and show love and kindness and say, hey, look, I want you to know I've been there. I've had those feelings. I've had those besetting sins. I I struggle too. I want you to know that. God can forgive you. God can give you victory. Listen, let me show you some kindness. Listen, I want to tell you there's hope in your struggle. That is the difference. You give them truth, but you give it with grace. And that is so important for us to understand. You don't want to get imbalanced in either way. You want to, and the only way that you can remain completely balanced is through the power of the Holy Spirit. So we see here, we were changed because of the kindness and love of God. But I'll tell you one reason why we didn't change. That's coming up there in verse number 5. Look there with me. This is one reason that we did not change. For sure. Verse number five. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done. Now, allow me to park there just for a moment. This is something that Paul knew firsthand. He did a lot of righteous works in the name of God, even before saved. Even and after. But he realizes here that, look... This salvation that we're talking about, this rescue, can I just tell you something, church? Can I tell you something, Cretans? You didn't have anything to do with it. That's humbling to us. Because we'd like to have a little something to do with it. No. When God saved me, and when God saved you, Let me tell you something right now. Don't forget it. It was all God. I cannot take credit for the payment of my sin. I cannot contribute to the payment, to the debt. I can't contribute anything. Zero. Nothing. All I can do is simply receive it. It's a gift that we talk about around Christmas. We don't give each other gifts to, that, to, to have that person earn it or to pay for it. Now, some of you might. I don't know. But the truth of the matter is, it is a gift and there's nothing I can do to earn it. And, and, it, and, and this is a problem in our society. It always has been, even in the New Testament times. Listen, I think of not my own righteousness. And maybe these Cretans were making some good decisions. Praise the Lord. But never let your life that you're living in Christ think in any way that it is contributing towards your salvation. That takes away grace. You have nothing to contribute to your salvation. It was all of Jesus. I think of people like Mother Teresa, Gandhi, Pope Francis, and other people through the ages who have emphasized good works. They've emphasized... Listen, just do good. Just do good. And there's no emphasis on the mercy and grace and the blood of Jesus Christ as being the only way to heaven. 
The only way to be forgiven. There has been an emphasis there. And it's an emphasis on works of righteousness. And we can't get caught up in that. Listen. I don't know about y'all, and maybe you've had to do this in an emergency. So if you've had to do this in an emergency, don't get upset at me, okay? But have you ever been in a situation where you've been around someone that thought, perhaps, for whatever reason, different context, I'm not here to judge anybody, but thought for some reason that perfume or cologne could take the place of a bath? It never works out well. Now, maybe you've been in an emergency situation, okay? I understand there are situations that come about in life, and, and, uh, but, but honestly, it just does not work. There is that temptation uh, to cover up the stench or the stink. And, but I want to tell you, whether you put on as much cologne as possible, the stink is still there. In fact, sometimes it's worse. Because of the mixture. It's never good. I want to tell you something. How does that apply spiritually? That is like the person trying to cover up their sin with works and righteousness. A person who's trying to go through life to, to merit uh, God's favor. To earn God's favor and to earn salvation. What they're simply doing is they might be doing good things. Because I'm sure Mother Teresa did a lot of good things to help the poor, help the needy. Gandhi, I'm sure, did some good things to humanitarian, to help people. And, And there's people all over this globe. There's people, churches in our community, good people. They're going to church. They're going to to even teach the Bible out of all things. But sadly and heartbreakingly, the fact of the matter is many of them are going, putting those works upon the stench of their sin. Because the sin is still there. It's never been paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ. It's never been washed away. They've done a lot of good things. And they've gotten this mode of thinking that I'm going to be dependent upon that. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done. We've all done good works, but it's not by that. But what is it by? Look at the next part of the verse. But according to His mercy, there it is, He saved us. Another great contrast, not by my works of righteousness, but by His mercy, His grace, His love. What does that word mercy there mean? It means to help a helpless creation. A desire to help someone that's helpless. The root word in the Hebrew, when you see mercy, if you do a word study on that, it carries the idea of the womb. Of where there's a newborn baby there. Where there's a, there's a baby yet to be born there, excuse me. It's, it carries the idea of, 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 of a covering and a protection of an innocent, helpless, I shouldn't say innocent, but helpless life. Now, that's when you put application there. We are helpless and hopeless. We need God's care and protection and his kindness and his love toward us because without him, we are nothing. And it's because of his mercy. Jesus came to rescue. This word saved again means to be rescued from danger. He came to the rescue. Aren't you glad Jesus came to the rescue? 
Think about right now. I want you, everybody just to pause just for a second. I want you to think right now. To think back to the time God rescued you. I just, just think for a moment. Think about it. That's when God came to you. He appeared to you by the power of His Spirit. He worked in your heart. He convicted you of your sin. Where were you? What were you doing in life? Who was in your life? God came to you. Just like we came to that vessel that day with that man laying hopeless like that. That's a picture of what God did for us. I don't care if you were in a Christian home in this church or if you were in a bar. I don't care. God came to you at that time of salvation because He wanted to show His kindness and His love towards you. He saved us. Jesus had the credentials. He was the one that had the power to do it. He was God Himself. I think of the the story, some of you followed it. It was followed by social media and the world. It was amazing. Those boys that were trapped in the cave in Thailand, it was simply an amazing story. If you haven't read about it, read about it. But these boys, a soccer team, uh, it was the rainy season, and they shouldn't have been going in those caves. But what happens in the rainy season in Thailand is that, yes, these caves will come available to hike through and go in, but the rainy season, the waters come in very quickly at times. And that's exactly what happened to these boys in this soccer team. And the rains came in, and it flooded in, and it trapped them. They were in a closed compartment. Well, boy, all kinds of measures were taken. One uh, uh, Navy SEAL from Thailand uh, gave his own life for it. There were people that come, they had to make this special um, type of machinery. Uh, Brother Daniel or Timothy probably could uh, give a clearer description of maybe what they created to get them out of there. But it was simply uh, amazing what the, the measures they took to get those boys out. Those boys were helpless. They were hopeless. There was no way out. That's a vivid picture of me and you. Before we got saved. But guess what? Just like those Navy SEALs came and swam through that cave and reached those boys and delivered them out one by one. I want to tell you, that's what God the Holy Spirit is doing every day. He's drawing. And Jesus came and made the way to to deliver them and to deliver us from our sin debt. He rescued us. What an awesome God we have. And this is to bring great joy to the heart as it did to the Cretans. Remember, Cretans, it wasn't by your works, but it was by His mercy He saved you. Also, what brought about the change? Look with me in your Bibles. It says that this change came by the kindness and love of God. It also came not by our works of righteousness, but by what? According to His mercy. Then it says, by the washing of regeneration. What is that referring to? That's referring to what we call being born again. Regeneration. A new birth. You know the verse in 2 Corinthians 5.17, Any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. Boy, when I got saved... I became a new creation. That's what happens. That's why I can live the life I do now. It's not because of Brinson Jennings. It's because of what God did. By the way, I hadn't pointed this out yet, but if you'll take the passage we have, it gives all the credit and points all the attention to what God did. What God did. And I'm telling you, when when a person gets born again... 
miraculous things. There's a, a regeneration, a new birth. Now, listen, this is where a lot of us get twisted up in our own thinking, too. Listen, it's not to improve the old man. Listen, that is uh, frustration. I'll mention that here in just a second. But the fact of the matter is, when mercy found me, when God's grace found me, there was a new birth. Can I ask you a question, church, tonight? Everyone sitting in this room, do you know without a shadow of a doubt that you have experienced the new birth? If you've never experienced this new birth, I want to tell you, today would be an awesome day to do it. God wants you in His kindness and His love to respond to His mercy. He's saying, please come to me. You say, God's begging us to get saved? I believe it with all my heart. God has such a strong desire for people to trust in His Son, Jesus Christ. I believe He's moved with compassion. That's why He cried over Jerusalem. It was a heart with compassion A heart that wanted people to trust in Him and His mercy and grace. And I want to tell you, when when people respond to the grace of God, there's a, a, a regeneration taking place. Oh, praise God for the new birth. But then it goes on to, to even qualify and to clarify. Look what it says. Not only was there a regeneration there, a washing of regeneration, being born again, but there was a renewing of the Holy Ghost. That renewing, that word renewing carries the idea of renovation, making new, a complete change for the better. Does anybody know that old song, there's been a great change since I've been born again? That's a good one. It's been a great... I'm not going to sing it. Y'all might get mad. But hey, listen. When a person gets born again, there's a change of heart. You say, well, pastor, I grew up in a Christian home and I wasn't saved out of a life necessarily of open sin. That doesn't matter. Because what should have changed at the time that you got born again was the attitude of your heart. God went inside and did a transformation. That outside stuff will come, friend. But what God moves in, He doesn't move in on the outside. That'll come. Where He goes right, first and foremost, praise God, is the heart. Because the heart is the heart of the matter. And there's a lot of people out there trying to improve an unregenerate heart. They're constantly, and I want to tell you, I don't know of anything, Brother David, anything more frustrated in life than trying to improve an old sin nature. I can't imagine anything more frustrating than going through life trying to improve a sin nature. No, what you need is not an improvement. You need a transformation. A transformation that only comes through the Holy Spirit that we see right here. It comes. A regeneration. A renewing. I don't know about you all. My wife likes it. And yes, I'm going to admit it. I like it from time to time too when I have a chance. But that is... Watching a little HGTV, okay? If you don't know what that is, don't worry. But HGTV, it is a, it's a network that focuses on shows to uh, things that do, have to do with the home, whether it be uh, fixing it up or whether it be selling real estate, different things. they got all kinds of different shows. But one of the favorites of Joanna's and mine, too, I, I enjoy watching it with her, and that is The Fixer Upper. Chip and Joanna Gaines. 
it's pretty neat to see what they can do when they go into a house that uh, needs a lot of help. Needs a lot of work. Some are more in-depth than others. But that, that is something neat to watch. What They'll go in there and they'll show the before pictures. And of course, they kind of got a 30-minute show or however long it is. And they show all that they do. And then just to see the, uh, the, the, the expression of people that come after the work has been done. And they have seen the transformation of the inside of that home. Walls knocked out. Things just totally changed around. And it's beautiful. And they're excited. And I don't think they have to pay anything, so that probably helps with the, with the excitement. But you know what was taking place in that house? There was a transformation. There was a transformation, and that's what God's Spirit does when He moves in. There's a change of the heart. Are we perfect? No, absolutely not. I know I'm not. If you don't believe me, you ask my wife. She sees me more than anybody, and that goes the same with everybody. Whoever's around you the most, that's all we'd have to do. Hey, is so-and-so a sinner? Oh, yeah, they're a sinner. Mm -hmm. They may may be kind and say only sometimes. But the truth is, wow, I can't get credit for that. I can't get credit. Brinson Jennings, back in 2002, when I was led to Christ, when I came to know Christ, I can't take credit for the fact that my life started changing. Alright? It's not this mental game I was playing and this new leaf I changed over or this new improvement program I went through. I can't do that because I know that's not true. I just know God, the Holy Spirit moved in my life and things started changing as I yielded my life to Him. God was working. He's still working. He's still working in me. He's still got a lot of work to do. And I'm thankful that He's not giving up on me. He's not giving up on you. If you're here without Christ, you've never been born again. I want to tell you, God's not giving up on you. You're here. He wants you to hear this message. I don't know how much longer you have. That's between God. That's, that's up to God. And if you're here as a believer, and you say, I think God's given up on me. No, He has not. He's, he wants to do a renewal. He wants to continue to help you and strengthen you. Some people don't want to accept their need for change. Some people say, listen, I can just change. I can just add some things. They don't want to accept the need for change. There's a story about a doctor who told a man to give up red meat. So he stopped putting ketchup on his hamburgers. (laughs) He didn't want to accept his need to change. And some of us are like that, you know. We know we need to make a specific change in our life. It might need to get saved, but we just want to continue going through these motions of adding. We, oh, I come to church, I tithe, and I do these things. I, I know the lingo. But what God's saying, no, you need a heart transformation. You need God to move in and save you. And then let him live his life through you. Quit getting frustrated for the Christian life constantly. I can't do this. I can't do this. I'm performing. I feel like I'm performing. I just can't. Listen, that is the performance. God never wanted the Christian life to be a performance. Remember that. He never wanted you to perform. He just wanted you to yield. Let him do the work. So we see there's a renewal there. And we can't get it on our own. We need God 
to do that. But then look with me, uh, moving quickly here, look at the next part. It says here not only that was there a, a, uh, a regeneration there, a renewing, but also look, there is, he, he shed on us abundantly these things. The Holy Spirit specifically here. He shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior. The Holy Spirit was poured out on us on the day of salvation. That promise was fulfilled from Acts chapter 2 verse 17. And now the Spirit controls the believer. How does the Spirit perform, if you, if you want to use that term? How does the, the Christian uh, live? Let me say that better. How does he live this Christian life? It comes through the power of the Holy Spirit. Listen, we're bringing this thing into a landing, but I need you to look with me at verse number 7, please. How did this change take place? What, what, what took place in our life? I want to tell you, that's, I just talked about what brought the change, but then I want to talk about what the change has made in our lives. What we have become. What we became on that day of salvation is verse number 7. Look there. That being justified by His grace, we should be made heirs According to the hope of eternal life. Justified. You know what that means? Being made righteous. Nothing Brinson Jennings has done. Nope. I've been given the righteousness of Christ. I've been justified. Made right with God. And through that, guess what? I've been made heirs. Heirs with God. With Christ, my Savior. What do I inherit? I inherit eternal life. I inherit the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit gives me these things. And I'm sealed into the day of redemption. That's my, hey, that's my contract, if you will. That, that, that is the covenant, if you will. The covenant is that God has given me His Spirit. It has sealed me. That's why, another reason I believe in eternal security. I don't believe I can lose the Holy Spirit. God says I'm sealed. It's closed. It's a done deal. That I've been born again, I can't, hey, I can't get born out. I'm born again. I'm born. I'm, I, I'm born again in Christ. And I'm sealed by the Holy Spirit of God. And I know that I have the hope of eternal life. And I don't have time, but you can go look at Romans chapter 8, verses 16 and 17. Hey, I'm thankful for that. Listen, we've been given eternal life. Do you have hope this morning? Oh, listen. We're going to be... There's going to be a lot of people, listen church, there's going to be a lot of people in our world, these these next three weeks especially, where the realization that hope is missing has never been so real. Around these holidays, you hear of more suicides than any other time of year. People are lonely. People are struggling. They don't have any hope. But according to that verse, through the born again child of God, there's hope. And what I believe the island of Crete needs at this time, what they needed, is the same thing Jackson County and this world, America, needs. They need a group of people that will show forth the love and kindness of Almighty God. To show what God has done. Not what I've done, but what God has done in my life. Not forgetting where I came from. Not forgetting. But realizing that the love of God was the reason I am where I am today. I don't know if you heard of that mining accident over in Chile. It happened about eight years ago. But there was a cave-in at a copper gold mine that left 33 miners. They were trapped 
about a half mile deep below the earth's surface. They were trapped. Most people wrote them off, said there's no way. But people started coming and getting together and trying to figure out a plan. And uh, so they started attempting. And you won't believe this. I couldn't hardly believe it. But it took them 69 days to get to them. But they didn't give up. NASA even got involved. The government was involved. They were doing everything they could to get down there and, and, and to reach those people that were helpless and hopeless in that cave. And they were going after them. There was a recorded of one billion people that were watching this thing globally. They were trying to do what they could. At the, at, by the end, they did get delivered. By the end, there was $20 million that was spent on rescuing these 33 miners. $20 million. I got to thinking about that, church. Can we recall at this time the depths that Jesus Christ took? To come after us? Can you realize the, the amounts and the measures and the distances that God took to come after us? The price that He paid for to come to us and to rescue us? Oh, it pales in comparison to this incident here. And I'm glad they were delivered. I'm glad someone showed them compassion and kindness. But listen, it does not compare to the kindness that God showed a creation that totally rejected Him. Oh, no. An amazing rescue that Jesus made over 2,000 years ago. This was an awesome and amazing rescue that we're talking about. His own Son, Jesus Christ. The depths that God Himself went. Brother Ricky and I were talking about this. Now, Brother Bill and Christian, some of you others that really have a love for science, can, can maybe understand this a little better. But... A light year, a light year is about 5.8, so it's nearly, nearly 6 trillion miles. A light year. How far did God have to come? If we believe that heaven indeed, where he, His presence, where His throne is, and where the angels are, and where people go, if that's indeed beyond the galaxies, which is very probable, if it's beyond the galaxies, how far did Jesus have to come to rescue a sinner like Brinson Jennings? Well, a light year is six trillion miles. All right? The furthest known galaxy, Brother Jason... The furthest known galaxy that we can even see a glimmer of light. Listen, without even a telescope. Listen to this. Listen to this. The furthest known is, get this, is 12.5 million light years away. I know. I can't get my mind wrapped around that either. Six trillion miles in a light year and 12.5 million light years away is that known galaxy. That is a long, long way. And I'd say that's pretty awesome. That's a distance that God came for us. But I want you to know something. That's not what the most impressive thing to my heart is. The most impressive thing to my heart is that God would leave His throne and His glory to come down for a hell-bound sinner like me. 
that God Himself took upon the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men, and He became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. He came from glory for me. Oh, the mercy, the grace that God has exhibited to rescue us. Helpless and hopeless creation. And not only that, this is where it really hits me the hardest. The distance He came, but look. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 says, For He hath made Him to be sin for us who knew no sin. Why? That we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. Jesus, in His mercy, born in a manger, lived this life on earth for 33 years, went to a cross, took upon my sin, God in the flesh, took upon the sin of the world, the depravity of man. He took it all on Himself. The wrath of God. He took it all upon Himself. And that, my friends, is the mercy and grace of Almighty God. And I believe He is telling this dear church here these things to remind them, look, you have no right, number one, you have no right to be bitter, to be ugly, unkind to a lost and dying world. We don't have any right to do that. People that don't live the way you do, or talk the way you do, we have no right to be unkind toward them. Just like with our authorities, the same goes for all. We have no right to do that. But not only do we not have a right, because the Bible says right here, we need to be kind towards them. Just in an example of Almighty God, He was kind and loving towards them. Even while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We know that we can be kind. But then secondly, church, don't forget where we came from. Don't forget what God delivered you from. From that depraved heart of yours. That was capable of the most atrocious sins you could ever think of. God delivered you. Would you stand with me, please?